Welcome to a podcast called Intrepid. My name is Craig Forces. I'm joined today by Leah West. Stephanie Carvin is on a well-deserved holiday. And this is our second in our series on diversity and inclusion in the security and intelligence community in Canada. So Leah, what do we have on deck today? So today we are going to speak with two representatives from the Communication Security Establishment, CSE, Canada's Signals Intelligence Agency, about their careers, a little bit about uh, their perception of diversity and inclusion within uh, CSE and their broader experiences within the public service. And we're also, uh, for our student listeners, going to ask them a little bit about how they got to where they are and how our students can potentially follow in their footsteps or make their own paths. Great. And I should note, there are really two hypotheses that we want to test or questions that we want to ask of our guests over the course of the series. We really want to test the the question, why diversity in the security and intelligence community? And, and I think there are, there are two answers. The first is the ethical one. That is, as a matter of principle, a security and intelligence organization should reflect the society in which it operates. And also then there's also the question of efficacy. As a matter of efficacy, a security and intelligence organization is better in what it does. It's more competent in what it does if it embraces diversity and reflects the society in which it operates. And so I'd like to welcome our guests to the show, and I'll just ask them to introduce themselves. Hi, uh, my name is Arthur Wolchinski. I'm the Associate Deputy Chief of Signals Intelligence at the Communication Security Establishment. And I am Nabi Haldebs. I'm the Director General for Policy Disclosure and Review at the uh, Communication Security Establishment. Great. Thank you so much to both of you for joining us today. The first question is a question we like to ask all of the guests here on Intrepid is just can you explain to us a little bit about your career in the public service and currently at CSC and how you got to where you are today? And I guess we'll start with Arthur, please. Thanks very much for that. So um, I've spent over 30 years in the uh, in the public service in various uh, roles and responsibilities. I actually started uh, public service uh, on the Hill. I was uh, I started in 1987 as an assistant to a, a backbench member of parliament and worked on the Hill for 12 years, uh, ending my time there as a, as a chief of staff to a minister of state that made the jump into, uh, into the public service proper and uh, worked uh, first at Canadian Heritage as, the, uh, as a manager for multilateral affairs and actually was one of the lead negotiators in 2000, 2001 on the World Conference Against uh, Racism. Um, and did a lot of work on equality issues back then, uh, became the, uh, the Director General of International Affairs at, uh, at Canadian Heritage uh, for a little bit of time and then went over to public safety. Uh, first started my time at public safety as uh, the uh, Director of Strategic Policy and Planning, uh, spent about five years there, ending as the Director General of uh, International Affairs and Border Policy. So you can get a bit of a sense of uh, international issues was a key part of my career. I then moved over to global affairs. It was a DFATE at the time, Department of Foreign Affairs and International Trade, as the, the Director General for uh, Security and Intelligence and Counterterrorism, and did that job for about four years before being appointed as Canada's ambassador to, to Norway, and also did, a, uh, did work as Canada's head of delegation to the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance. And when coming back from, uh, from posting, I wanted to do something, something different. I've known Shelley Bruce for, for many years, and uh, um, she talked to me about coming and joining the organization and working with her and uh, uh, in the role as Director General of Intelligence Operations. And I did that for a couple of years and just recently have uh, become the Associate Deputy Chief for SIGINT. 
I know it's a big rambling uh, reply. I'm, I, I'm one of these people who, who can't hold down a job in any one given department for very long. I have, I have a professional attention deficit disorder. That's great. I mean, it keeps things from getting stale, and I'm sure you can bring the wealth of your experience from department to department. Uh, Nabi, can you talk a bit about your experience? Absolutely. So I started working in the public service with the Canada Revenue Agency. I have a CPA and a CMA. And so uh, my career was started in in, uh, the financial aspect of things. From there, I moved to the Ontario Ministry of Finance and did a few years there uh, in tax audit, Uh, then joined the private sector for a couple of years as well. Uh, It was the boom within uh, the high-tech industry in, in Ottawa. And so I I joined the software company as the chief financial officer. From there, I uh, joined CSE. Uh, I joined the uh, the Signals Intelligence branch, worked there in various positions for about eight years. And then from there, moved to uh, policy, to operational policy, and then uh, grew up within the policy and communications branch for a few years until, until my current position. Wonderful. Thanks very much, both of you, for for joining us on this podcast where our focus, our substantive focus is is on this question of diversity and inclusion. And maybe to start us off, I'll point to some some data points that that might help us guide our conversation. And the first data point is actually CSE's most recent annual report, described as its first annual report, actually, which is interesting. And and Shelley Bruce, the chief, notes in her uh, statement that it's ironic that an organization that's been around for 75 years, it's about to celebrate its 75th anniversary, has got its first annual report. But uh, it's it's good to see that that sort of public uh, annual report. And one of the data points in that public annual report is that 91% of employees think that CSE implements activities and practices that support a diverse workplace. So 91%, that's, that's a pretty significant figure. Uh, and in its own study that we talked about two weeks ago in, with the National Security Intelligence Committee of Parliamentarians on diversity and inclusion in the Security and Intelligence Service, uh, CSE was singled out for some observations about many of its initiatives. And in that conversation that we had in the podcast, CSE also came up as an organization where there are initiatives on the ground uh, to promote diversity and inclusion. So my my first question to the two of you is, first of all, in your experience within the organization, how is CSE approaching the concept of diversity and inclusion? What does it really mean? Is it is it simply the Employment Equity Act and its categories, or is there a broader umbrella concept of diversity and inclusion? And secondly, what initiatives would you single out as particularly important in your organization for promoting uh, this concept of diversity and inclusion? And maybe I'll start with you, Arthur. Uh, thanks for that. So, it is broader than the Employment Equity Act, and I'll, I'll say that just simply uh, in terms of my own responsibilities and my own function within CSE, and for LGBTQ2 persons within the organization, as, as you know, uh, those uh, are issues or the issues affecting that community and representation from that community is not covered by, by the Act. Um, and we, we do quite a, a number of activities, and it's at multiple multiple levels. First of all, it's a networking opportunity. It's an opportunity for, for individuals throughout the organization uh, to come together from time to time and just share their experiences, tell their stories. It's around creating the space that is important for individuals to be who they want to be and, and not feel particularly affected, negatively affected by belonging to a historically marginalized uh, community, particularly one within the national security environment. And one of the events, we actually had a, a very significant event uh, last year for the International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia, and Transphobia, where we invited survivors of the LGBTQ2 purge uh, to come back to 
um, of the EDB building to the Edward Drake building to tell their stories, um, to tell us how they were affected by the history of discrimination and homophobia and, and exclusion and to help have a conversation about what we as an organization can do uh, to be better in, uh, at being inclusive. So it's not just representation, it's about inclusion. It's that, it's that step forward. And I think that the, my experience as, a, as an out gay man has been supremely positive. We, we as part of our, our uh, fundraising campaign for the Government of Canada charitable campaign, sold lanyards. We sold hundreds of, of, of rainbow-colored lanyards so that people can not, you know, be visible not only as members of the community, but as allies. We had an event uh, where I, I invited the entire organization to come by. And I, and I have to say that half of the participants wanted to come by as allies to say, how can they help us advance uh, the issues within not only CSE, but the broader security and intelligence community and more broadly out, um, outside as well? So uh, it's something that I've, uh, I felt from the moment I've stepped into the organization. It's exceptional. It's not something I felt, and again, I say this as someone who's been across government, it's not some, uh, the type of welcoming I felt in any of the other organizations that I've worked in. Navi, do you want to uh, add some observations of your own? Absolutely. I think what we've tried to focus on as well as an organization is to balance the outreach activities with those that we do internally. Just to uh, uh, Arthur's point, we want to focus a lot internally on inclusion, and that's the idea that we want to move from being, uh, you know, from feeling marginalized or having marginalized groups to feeling all together as a community within CDC. And so, uh, we, when we when we thought out how we wanted to do the diversity and inclusion outtake or or, or uh, approach uh, within CSE, we thought of, of course, we we you know we wanted to kind of look at the various groups. So we started off with the women in cyber and intelligence. We started that grouping called Wiki, so Women in, in Cyber Intelligence, which also connected to WIDS, which is the Women in Defense and, and Security. That's kind of a broader outreach within the government of Canada. And then we also started the LGBTQ2 pillar as well within that. And Arthur talked a little bit about that and the events that that group has been doing. And then also the, the report from NSI COP was a little bit, touched a little bit on a point, which is the visible minority aspect. So now we're kind of growing that a lot internally and trying to kind of look at at, uh, at uh, how we look internally and, and looking at our visible minorities within the organization, how we can, how we can kind of um, make those groups as well feel, feel included within the organization. So we have those three key pillars. Then we also have a pillar for outreach. And that's the pillar that's been, you know, you see a lot of it on our uh, social media channels. You see a lot of outreach from the organization, whether it's HackerGal, whether it's uh, Digital Micmac or other things. So although we had these kind of groupings together, we, what we wanted to do is establish even a separate education and inclusion group within CSE. So that, that uh, education and inclusion group is looking at also kind of working with all of these different pillars to bring inclusion and education about, about the various groups internally to CSE. So everybody kind of feels as part of one community within the organization. And I would just have to say that all of these, all of that work that's going on, it's all people doing this at the side of their desk. It's all volunteer work uh, within CSE, whether it's me, whether it's Arthur, whether it's the tens of people that work with us and kind of make this a success and turn it within the organization. They are all volunteering to do this because they believe in it and because they want to bring that forward and bring that change forward. And so it's our, mine and Arthur's a job to, to make that happen and to champion that and and bring their ideas to the forefront and make these happen for the organization. And this is why we had been successful at what Arthur was referring to as, 
you come into this organization and it just feels different. It just feels that it's a welcoming organization. It just feels like it's one community. We, we work together. We, we approach things together. And so that's had, that has made all the difference in the world. For both of you, but maybe starting with maybe from a policy perspective, the underlying reason that we have in this podcast series is the why. So not just the values-based why, but is there an efficacy-based why? And if there is, if you can describe that and also explain whether or not through, by comparison, maybe for both of you, uh, if you've seen a change in efficacy output success based on these initiatives that you have within CSE. I would say certainly there's an efficacy point to be made here. Uh, I mean, we're a foreign intelligence organization. Our job is to provide the government with foreign intelligence. That's one of our main, the main parts of our mandate. And in order to do that, there's no better way to doing that than, than having a diverse workforce that's able to do that in a way that looks at all angles and provides the government with that holistic approach to intelligence versus one that is kind of siloed uh, or that's not diverse. So as an organization that does that, diversity has, in a way, exponentially improved the work that we do, exponentially provided different outlooks and different views that we can bring to the table and that we can bring for, for decision makers within the government. So if there is an efficacy point, of, point to be made, it certainly has to be made for, for an organization in the security intelligence community. That diversity in, in uh, whether it's in gender, uh, gender-based diversity, whether it's eth- ethnic-based diversity or racial-based diversity, whether it is also skills-based diversity, these are things that have made us a lot stronger. I joined uh, CSE shortly after uh, 9-11. It wasn't too long after 9-11 when I joined CSE. Once you join an organization like that and they're seeking, you know, that diverse look into the organization and that diverse views into the organization, you kind of feel your value right away in it. You, fi- you feel that your voice is also heard uh, because they're seeking that diversity. So it, it acts both ways. So when, you're, when the organization is seeking it and you're providing it and the organization is listening to it, it makes it so much stronger and makes you feel included in the decision making and in how the organization is being successful. Uh, for its future. So certainly, I would uh, say that CSE has felt that in, in spades uh, in terms of uh, the efficacy uh, argument of things. Maybe, uh, Nabi, I could just follow up with that and before turning to Arthur. So on this question of efficacy, that is, does diversity enhance the uh, competency and capacity of the intelligence service to perform its core function. As I understand what you're saying, you could tease apart almost three elements of that. One aspect is on the analytical side. So if you've got diverse worldviews, that can change how questions are approached from an intelligence perspective and counter whatever cognitive biases are associated with having sort of a monoculture, if you will. The second, and, and this is where I think probably things like Hacker Girl and the like probably come into play, is that if you are open to diversity, then the range of talent that you can recruit is the entire population and not some narrow subset under the illusion that there's a monopoly of skills in some narrow demographic subset of the population. And so obviously then that enhances your uh, capacity to be competent because you're, you're, you have your excellence in recruiting. And then the third aspect, which I found very interesting, which was your last point, was that diversity and inclusion also, it flattens, if you will, the hierarchy or the governance structure so that all voices feel that they're being heard or reflected. And that makes for uh, efficacy in terms of the organization's nimbleness, if you will, its ability to adjust. Is, is that a fair summation of, of how we might approach this question? 
Absolutely, I think that that's a fair summation. I think from one of the organizations, CSA being one of the organizations when I first joined it, that really concentrated its voice on the subject matter experts. We really rely on subject matter experts throughout the hierarchy. So you're absolutely correct in that it flattens that hierarchy. So when you have that subject matter expert uh, speaking to things and being at the forefront of things, we trust that. And we trust it because they're bringing in their views and their expertise and their diverse views and the diverse views of their team into it. So that certainly has flattened uh, the hierarchy in terms of uh, how we present our product and how we present our intelligence. And our intelligence is literally provided by those subject matter experts. And so certainly that has done uh, wonders for us as an organization. But, but uh, you're absolutely correct in that that point in terms of But I also want to try to highlight this, that flattening of the hierarchy and that feedback approach where that voice is being heard and that voice has a say on the table uh, vibrates positive energy to the workforce and vibrates positiveness in terms of the inclusion aspect of things for the organization where people feel included and feel that they're part of an organization. They're not siloed in their role or they're not being listened to. And that's why you would get such a high percentage of people, 91%, saying that they believe CSE fosters and, um, uh, a culture of diversity and inclusion. So that's a key element of it, is that we're not just doing this at the surface or we're just not saying to people, we're going to hear you, but not really hear them. It's their voice through their work and through their contributions becomes the real voice of CSE. Arthur? Uh, I agree completely with everything that Nabi said, and I, I appreciated your characterization of those three different uh, rationale. Uh, I think that all of them contribute to a fourth. Uh, which is uh, job satisfaction and retention. I think that a lot of the skills that we're looking to to acquire as as an organization and retain rely or depend on us being a, a workplace of choice, making sure that we are a place where everybody feels valued. And uh, I think that it's it's uh, it's essential for an organization to to be one that's based in in in, in respect if it's going to be a successful one. The points that you made around uh, around analytics are absolutely bang on. I mean, as the as the person who's responsible for for signals intelligence in the organization, having that diversity of views, diversity of experience, diversity of perspectives, having these kinds of um, multifaceted teams that, that can challenge one another and 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 pose tough questions and and bring in insight uh, are absolutely key in order to generate the types of of, uh, of material and information that policymakers rely on. Uh, if you're looking at the same problem all from a based the same uh, experience, based from the same uh, perspective, uh, you are naturally going to put blinders on your approach to intelligence. Uh, and that is something that I think is going to inhibit the effectiveness of us as an organization specifically, but more broadly, it's going to have a negative effect on the entire uh, intelligence collection enterprise, not just for Canada, but for us and our, our, our five eyes partners and allies as well. So I, I want to ask a question that is coming to mind and based on my experiences in the SNI community that they are very, um, at least in the places I've worked, it is hard to join the community, right? These are, at least in certain areas, people are very closed. They're very quiet about what the work that they're doing. Things can be very siloed and you may not know what the person next to you is working on, for example. How do you build and foster that teamwork, that diversity, that collaborative nature across the an organization where at times individuals are working uh, in a very siloed or segregated type of work environment? I think that 
that's why I said it's having those kinds of, of teams that are that are multidimensional. Uh, I think that uh, yes, there are, and by necessity, there are things that that, that take place in, in restricted areas. We are an organization that has secrets, and that needs to stay. But I think you, you create other kinds of spaces as well, where, where individuals with diverse backgrounds and with diverse experiences can come in and, and share uh, their perspectives on, on, on various questions. It's to have an openness back out to the, to the community using different tools to whether or not it's, it's, uh, it's your efforts on, on recruitment and making sure that, that what you're doing is, is something that is, is reflective of the country and the community and the society that you're in, or it's inside and creating, again, like I said, those, those spaces. Uh, one of the things that, uh, that that we're doing, you know, right now, for for example, is in that collaborative sense, is we're creating space for people to talk about the experiences associated with anti-Black and anti-Indigenous racism, so that individuals can share their views about their experiences, both within the organization and outside, and that that dialogue around that 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 uh, that those types of experiences of exclusion and racism and marginalization are really, really important in creating a sense of empathy amongst broader teams around what it means to be a member of a community that maybe has been historically excluded from the national security community, uh, about how their participation now might be um, restrained as a function of that, that experience or how it's shaped by it. And so it's, it's making sure that, that individuals like Nabi and I and the chief uh, go out of our way to tell people that we want to hear those stories, that we value that kind of collaborative environment, that a diversity of expression, that dissent and taking, uh, taking risk is all part of that environment of valuing a diversity of expressions that doesn't say that there's only one way to address a problem, there isn't only one answer to a series of questions, that we need that kind of broad-based uh, approach, no matter what the, uh, the issue is, in order to be effective as, a, as an intelligence collection agency. I can add to say as well that when when I first joined CSE, you were right in that a lot of the work was was segregated, and uh, a lot of the times, you know, we didn't, uh, you know, when we looked at organizations at uh, at the time, you're right, like people worked in their own little silo and may not have been kind of touching base with others. But I think that diversity of views that we brought into the organization has taken care of a lot of that, and that. I don't see a lot of us working in silos anymore within the organization. I know that there are certain groups that need to kind of keep their work very, very, uh, you know, at, the, at that high level of need to know basis. But that uh, is not necessarily the norm. That is the exception to the rule. And so having these, having the, the, the diverse groups coming in and having a, a workforce that is much more listened to and much more collaborative has broken down a lot of those silos. And I see that happening every day. You walk into the building and you see various groups kind of, we, we work in a very kind of open environment building and, and you see a lot of groups sitting together, talking about common issues, coming, talking about their work together and kind of hammering uh, down solutions to those problems. And that the building one has allowed us to do that a lot, and a lot better than it used to, than we used to uh, before in, in other buildings. But but also the the mentality and and the approach of the new workforce and of the workforce of CSE has really itself brought down these silos. My group was working on a project over the last couple of weeks that we needed input from other parts of the organization. But traditionally, what we used to do is we write something and we throw it over the fence to the other group to comment on it and it come back with comments and they wouldn't, you know, the type of approach that maybe is too bureaucratic. But instead of doing that, uh, the idea came from, from those who need to write these documents in that, well, let's book a boardroom 
uh, and let's have everybody in that boardroom and let's strike this together, whether it's the policy people, whether it's the people from operations, uh, whether those are from the signals intelligence branch or from the cyber center, plus the lawyers, plus everybody, let's sit together and write these together. And that's the approach that, that they brought to the table. And instead of that taking months to get completed, it got completed within literally about 10 days. And that's the, the diverse views that they're bringing to the table and the diverse kind of problem-solving uh, skills that they're bringing to the table. It sounds like it, when we, we're talking about diversity in this context, we're also talking about perhaps generational diversity, people who are habituated uh, to working in a very different style and manner than, than, than those who might have been working in a more formal environment for the better part of their career. So that, that's probably another aspect, especially I imagine that CSE might tend to, to trend young as well because of the nature of the technology you're working with. Maybe I could just follow up on, the, on this issue of, of implementing these initiatives. Uh, and we've been talking a lot about how th- there's been this change in CSE and the way it operates. But both of you mentioned that you are doing a lot of your diversity and inclusion initiatives at the side of your desk. Periphery is too pejorative a term, but it's, it's a, a passion you have individually. And so the, the natural question I have, because this was an issue that came up in our discussions with NZCOP, and NZCOP said a lot of these diversity and inclusion issues in, in their review were siloed into the human resources side of the house and weren't mainstreamed through the organization. Um, and so that raises questions about both how willing, certainly at the lower levels, people might be to ingest these and turn them into uh, values that are core to their identity, and also about the sustainability of these initiatives. And so the question I have for you is, how would you characterize where CSE is in this space? Do you feel that there is uh, across the board organizational buy-in and is it sustainable if a lot of these initiatives are being done at the side of the desk as, as to use your word, Nebi? So Arthur? Yeah, so I, I'm not sure it's at the, at the corner of, of my desk because it, it, it's, it's who I am, right? So I mean, ask, ask Nebi, I mean, I, I, I kind of wear my identity on my sleeve and I, and I, and I think that just by modeling the, the behavior in terms of being comfortable in who you are, making it, making it clear that you're bringing that to, to, to whatever conversation you're in, uh, is uh, is important, and hey, I'm I'm uh, the associate deputy chief Sigint. Uh, you know, uh, we're the we're the kind of pointy end of of of, of the stick in in a certain ex- uh, extent. And for me, it's it's absolutely foundational. I talk about these issues regularly within my own management team. I hold my management team accountable for uh, for these questions. They, you know, I will raise this uh, in terms of: Are you having these conversations with your teams? Are you creating the space? And I think it's for, for all of us as, as ma- managers to, to live the values and ethics that, that are a foundational part of being a, a, public, uh, a public servant. And so I actually don't think that it's, it's something that's, that's ghettoized. It's something that's an afterthought. I think it, 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 it is part of an ethos. And I think that it is up to leaders within an organization to, to create the space, to tell people with that, that, that report to them that it's something that's valued to hold their feet uh, to the fire, to make sure that they're accountable, but also to recognize that even for those of us who think that we're bringing an inclusive uh, approach to it, that we make mistakes too, that we are the ones who have, we have blind sides as well, and that we have to make sure that we're open to those kinds of different perspectives and to adjust our behavior as a consequence uh, of that. So um, I think that it's something that is right through the organization. It's part of our vision. Uh, I think it's, it's something that you saw uh, Shelley reflected in the in the annual report. It's something that is I think is core to us uh, as an organization. So I'm, I don't I don't necessarily agree with the that it's a, a corner of our desk. Some specific initiatives 
might be. They're, you know, they're not uh, our day-to-day necessarily that, you know, what, what we have to do uh, at, at the beginning of the day to make our, our, our day, uh, you know, specifically successful. But they, that we do have the space, we're encouraged to, uh, to undertake these activities, and we, we expect all of our teams to do, uh, to do the same. Not just participate, but lead them from wherever they are in the organization. Debbie? So just to add to that, absolutely, that's becoming uh, becoming the culture of CSE in terms of in terms of all of that. But also just to add to that, it's allowing the staff the time also to take initiative and to kind of follow up on some of their ideas and follow up on some of these uh, things that bring people together and 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 showcase the diversity and and make a dent in the inclusion space at CSE. So I think as leaders within the organization is allowing everybody the time to, and energy uh, to kind of put into that and see progress being made. Uh, but also to add to your point about, about the silos in the HR uh, realm, I, I, I could see how that could happen. But when we started the diversity and inclusion, uh, the new space in the diversity and inclusion effort at CSE, even though it's not our daily job, as, as Arthur was saying, it's not our daily job, you know, my title is not diversity, uh, the G of diversity and inclusion, but we do have a, a concerted effort within the organization. It's called diversity and inclusion Tile. We have all these pillars underneath it. We meet on a regular basis within the organization to champion new ideas about inclusion and diversity, uh, to champion events, to champion outreach, to champion uh, educational events in the building, bringing speakers in. But on that table as well is HR. Uh, so HR is definitely included. And I talked a bit before about our outreach program uh, as well. And that's something that is part of the diversity and inclusion effort. But that is one is that is kind of like uh, meshed uh, very well with HR, where uh, a lot of our efforts outside of the building have to be coordinated and done with support with, uh, from HR. So doing this in silo for us without HR does not necessarily work. We have to all work together at that. And, and we see that happening a lot at CEC. When I first uh, started with this effort with Arthur, we made a point that we need always HR to be sitting on the table. Um, and we need them to be connected directly to our outreach programs as well outside of the building. Uh, we don't want to have outreach programs uh, to specific community without HR being fully aware of it and, and supportive of it. And we don't want also to be working at odds with them. We need, we need to make sure that we're satisfying each other's needs in terms of in terms of our efforts and working together to make sure we're we're helping them and they're helping us in our efforts. And so that's why we've kind of brought them in to the diversity and inclusion effort. Uh, they're certainly a part of it. They're a big voice of it. Uh, and we want to make sure that we continue on that path together. I'm conscious of time, so I'm going to kind of throw out a multi-part question and you can pick up whichever part you'd like. But kind of building off of your, your talk about diversity and inclusion to the public face, one of the interesting things I found in the NSICOP report was that people, even at the hiring stage, are reluctant to self-identify as belonging to one of the categories under the Diversity and Equity Act. So people aren't self-identifying. And I'm, I'm wondering if you think that that's based on a perception of a lack of inclusion or a lack of receptiveness to diversity and, and what can be done about that. And then secondly, your organization with the Cyber Security Center has really taken on a really public-facing role. And uh, a big part of that is building public trust. Cybersecurity is just as much about human behavior as it is about, you know, the ones and zeros. Is showing this, doing this kind of work, part of that 
trust building exercise? And how do you think um, your work around diversity and inclusion can help in that regard? I, I can certainly see the self-identification issue be a problem. And HR has raised this to us and the diversity and inclusion effort at CSE as well, saying even employees internally are not all self-identifying. And so I met with a few people within the building. And to people, I think the concept of self-identifying is not necessarily one that they identify with, to use the word identify twice, but one where if I'm a visible minority, why do I need to be labeled as a visible? I don't want to be seen as basically different. I just want to be seen for who I am, not necessarily be viewed as different. And so that is creating a little bit of an issue. And I think we need to talk about self-identification a little bit differently. And we need to approach it a little bit differently. And we need to put a bit of education effort internally and to external applicants on the benefits of it and why we're doing it. I think we started to ask them, it's a voluntary system. You go into the HR system and you self-identify. And I think that that does not necessarily just help them to actually log in and do that. We need to explain the benefits of it. We need to explain why it's needed, why we need to collect and understand that. Why do they need to self-identify as part of a diverse group? And I think we've, we haven't done that very well. And I will say, you know, to all the positives that we've done at CSE, there's still some work ahead of us that needs to be done. And that's probably one of them. And I could see that getting, getting more difficult to an external hire, where an external hire is coming in. They, they don't necessarily understand why you need to collect that information. As a security and intelligence organization, and you're asking them to identify whether they belong to a visible minority group, that doesn't necessarily sometimes jive with that mentality without a proper explanation as to the why and, and without explaining the benefits uh, of it. In terms of the uh, cyber center, uh, I would say, yes, certainly CSE has become much more outward facing with the cyber center and with even our signals intelligence branch. I think we've, we've done an amazing job in terms of informing the public of all of our activities and in terms of being out there a lot more than we used to be. When I joined CSE, there was no name on the building uh, that said uh, what building I'm going to or an address uh, on it. So I... We've moved a long way to, to where we are uh, today and, and to, uh, you know, to helping people identify with the organization and, and seeing what CSE has to offer to the public. But certainly that diverse effort of, of our workforce, diversity of, of what we present to, to the country and to Canada helps tell the story better, of course. Uh, I mean, we talked a bit at the beginning about how the, the efficacy proposition to, to diversity and that the reason for that success and the reason for the success of CSE and, be, and CSE being able to kind of do what it does is because of the diversity of its workforce and the diversity of the, of the ideas that come to the table because of the diverse workforce. I agree, again, with, with everything that Nabi says. I, I'll bring a, a slightly different perspective to it. It's, uh, again, somebody from the LGBTQ2 com- community where being out is not necessarily a, uh, an easy uh, easy thing. It's a it's a process, and while people want more and more individuals to self-identify and be visible to to show that you know we belong, it is a profoundly personal exercise that people go through in order to decide that they want to to affiliate publicly because it, it, it's not always clear for what purpose. And the Employment Equity Act is very important. It's a foundational piece for. Uh, for the government of Canada in its efforts to make sure that its, uh, its workforce is reflective of the broader Canadian population. But it's, it's one, one tool. And I think that uh, as people become more, um, more comfortable 
with, uh, with what does it actually mean to self-identify? What is, what is the purpose of it? Uh, that it's around creating that kind of inclusive workforce to make sure that you as, a, as an employer are showing appropriate deference to the public demographics and that you are going out of your way to make sure that you are an inclusive place then people will feel, I think, more, more comfortable to, uh, uh, to self-identify. But the exercise shouldn't be simply a numbers game. The numbers is the, is the you know, for, for, for lack of a better phrase, and I apologize if it's inelegant, but it, it comes across a bit of a, of a floor. Uh, yeah, you got the right numbers, but, you know, are they in the right places? You have the numbers, but do they feel welcome? You have the right numbers, but are they able to move uh, within the organization and feel free to be, their, the, be themselves? So while a lot of effort goes into getting that numbers piece there, I think it's just, it's, it's so the, you know, the, the bottom of the, of the rung. It's the very, very least that we can do is in terms of getting the numbers there. We have to do much better than that, not only as a security and intelligence community, but as a, as a society as well, to, to recognize the value, not only as you were saying from an altruistic point of view, but because it's, it's the, it's, makes sense. It's the right thing to do. And God knows there's a lot of studies also in the private sector that show that companies that are inclusive of diversity are more profitable, uh, they're better at retention, they're better to, uh, to engage internationally. So I think that, uh, again, happy that when people self-identify, want to turn down those barriers to self-identification. But for me, that's just a low bar. Thank you so much. So the last kind of two questions are, are more for just understanding your daily life. So what is it like to work at CSE? I, I, you know, we've heard a lot about your specific roles in leadership in terms of diversity, but in your actual day jobs, what does your day look like? My, my, my day is, is, uh, is kind of interesting because I live very close to the uh, Edward Drake building. So I just kind of, I walk in and spend my first little while just uh, trying to, to engage with, uh, with my team. Usually like in the, in the, in the pre-pandemic environment, we would always have a senior management for, for SIGINT's team just kind of touch base, find out what are the hot issues that, are, that need to be addressed for, uh, uh, for the day. And then it's around engagement. It's, it's, it's around working with uh, my different teams to make sure that, that uh, they have guidance and or support from, uh, from me as, an, uh, as, a, as a senior executive uh, to do the job that they do. A big chunk of what I do also makes is, is around uh, working right across the security and intelligence community uh, as a sort of a first layer of uh, of engagement that, that I have. So it's regular conversations with other uh, organizations in the SNI community in, in Canada, but then broader. You know, as as a as a group responsible for foreign intelligence, it's the government of Canada is my, is my client, and so that means being uh, being also uh, plugged into to what the the government of Canada's priorities are. And then, uh, you know, on a regular basis, we, we also need to work uh, with international partners, in particular, our, 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 our Five Eyes uh, partners. So it's, it's, it's regular conversations. It's, it's, it's making sure that, uh, that we focus on elements that the government wants us to, uh, to focus on. It makes sure that we are doing so in a way that is appropriate, that is, uh, is consistent with our, our, our internal obligations to the Canadian public to be respectful of the, of the framework, whether it's, it's the legislative framework or the policy framework that we've established. So it's, it's a fairly robust, uh, robust day. And again, as, a, as an extrovert in an organization that's, uh, that has a lot of, uh, of introverts, and I see Nabi's, uh, Nabi's laughing, I spend a lot of time walking around just trying to get to know the place better. 
it's been almost two years uh, since I've, I've joined CSD, but I'm still learning. And God knows that every organization that I've been in loves its acronyms, but my organization love, loves uh, a whole new series of acronyms and technical elements. I'm a political science grad. I'm a NIPSIA grad, and I got did my master's there in the, in the, uh, in the early two, uh, 2000s. And I'm still learning a lot about the uh, very technical aspects of what we do, and it's, uh, it's fascinating. So I learn a lot every single day. Great. Thank you so much. And always nice to have uh, NIPSIA grads on the program. Uh, Nabi, do you want to add to that? <laughs> What's your day like? So Arthur's point, I think my day is always full of, uh, full of conversations as well. And I have a bit of a breadth of subjects kind of that my team works on. So after uh, last year's passing of C-59 and the introduction of the CC Act, my team is uh, responsible for doing operational policy work. So that's the policies and procedures that kind of regulate the mission. And having had a new act, we've kind of had to revamp all of that work. And uh, that's still ongoing. And to kind of uh, introduce what those concepts mean to new operations and new operational uh, elements within within CSE. And uh, they also deal with uh, policy questions every day from uh, operators that bring new ideas to the table and they see if these things are implementable or if they can pursue them. So we always are dealing with new ideas and new suggestions and we do that in, in a group uh, setting. So we always uh, have everybody around the table and we discuss the pros and cons of these ideas. And uh, we come up with a recommendation back to, uh, to operations. Also, my team uh, is responsible for uh, CSE's uh, disclosures and legal proceedings. And so that also keeps me busy and uh, signing off as an affiant for a few uh, legal cases. And also, we are the window to our review bodies, so NSI COP and NCIRA. And my team is the one that handles uh, all of the questions and then the responses back. So certainly these are a lot of things uh, that uh, come our way on a daily basis. I'm regularly engaged with them, engaged with the other uh, management uh, teams within the organization to make sure everybody's aware of what's going on and what's happening and what's coming into the building and what's going outside of the building. So I, I feel I spend my day kind of talking to people as well, uh, similar to what Arthur uh, is saying. We have uh, time to, for one last question, which we'll call our lightning round. Uh, and the lightning round question really goes to career advice. So uh, both of you have had a tremendous careers and, and, and moved over the course of your careers from different places. Uh, and so if you were to give one critical piece of advice to those who aspire to work in the CSE, or more generally, I suppose, in the security intelligence community, what would it be? Well, again, I think curiosity. Always be, be curious, always be willing to learn. Always be open to new and, and, uh, and different experiences and different perspectives. I think that that constant learning uh, is absolutely essential. And I think it's particularly valuable in the national security context. Uh, if you're always looking again at a problem uh, the way it was solved years ago, you're not going to be able to, I think, address the new and emerging threats and challenges that, uh, that Canada is facing and that the security and intelligence community is key in, in answering. So uh, maintain that openness, you know, be, be willing to admit when, you, when you've made mistakes, be willing to make mistakes, and then, and then uh, learn from them. Again, not to belabor the point, but I actually found that that diversity of experience that, that I've had, being able to, to work in many different areas, has enabled me to pick different parts of, of what I've learned over many, many decades and apply them to, to my latest job. And it's been, for me personally, very, uh, very valuable. And that'd be a final word to you. <laughs> for me, I would say the first thing I would say is always do your best, no matter what your job is. Uh, if you hate it, if you love it, always do your best. 
Uh, and the second thing I would say, always do it in collaboration with others. Bringing in others to, to help with the work and to get their ideas and views can always enrich the work. So these would be my two uh, pieces of advice. That's wonderful. And I'd like to thank both of you for joining us today to have this conversation, both on your own experiences and background, and also then on the broader question of diversity and inclusion. It's been very insightful. And I think uh, it's advanced our series enormously down the path of understanding how this issue is addressed in the security intelligence community within Canada. And so thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. So thanks everyone for joining us today on our second in our series on diversity in national security and intelligence in Canada. We're going to continue the series. We have a few more episodes that we have planned and we'll probably pick up a few others along the way, but also we're going to start our second promised series in mid-July. That is our series, which we've built Muskoka Chair Chats focusing on the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, a follow-on to our series that we did on the bases of Canadian constitutional law and policy, Her Majesty and Right of Pod. In that series, our guest was Philip Lagasse, and our guest host for the Muskoka Chair chats will be my colleague, Charisma Mathen, who teaches, among other things, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms at the University of Ottawa. And Leah, you'll be joining us as well for one of those yeah. episodes. I will be for section eight for all the search and seizure fun. And I just have to say that I'm very excited for these podcasts with Charisma because I'm going to make my mom listen to them. And now she'll understand what I'm always going on about whenever I talk about my dissertation. So <laughs> and my mom thanks you as well, I'm sure. Okay. Well, hopefully this will be uh, something people find worthwhile over the summer, a deep dive into the Charter of Rights and Freedoms so that people are able to understand many of the issues that come up in our conversation on this podcast about the application of these charter rights to national security issues. So thanks very much, everyone, and stay tuned. Thanks.